So that really spoke to me. Maybe it doesn't speak to anybody else. But we don't have the right to be resentful in times of tyranny and injustice. We have the person of Jesus that we're to bring into these times and proclaim the kingdom that is unshakable, Im immovable, all those M's that you can think of, but I'm telling you, it's the one that will never come to an end. Does that make sense? Is that right, Addie? Whatever Grandpa says, it's right. And I could say anything, and it'd be right to her. But I just, I wanted to pray. We need a special grace for this moment. Because you're going to be tempted to get very resentful, embittered, and feeling like this is not fair. Well, life's not fair. But Jesus, it's beyond that. Our relationship is eternal. And it's the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Cannot be shaken. Does that make sense? Anyway, we were talking about that at breakfast yesterday. and I told him I needed somehow to convey that. Because it's not to undo us. It's to prove we cannot be undone. And Lord, I thank you for your mercy your grace. Lord, I thank you we were made for these times. They are not to undo us, but to prove that our relationship with our Savior is greater, stronger, lasting, everlasting, unshakable, immovable. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And Lord, I know, and we know what you've shown us in your word and I thank you, God, that Jesus is going to be so exalted in this hour. He's going to be made known through a people that carry his name and will not be talked out of it. They will not retreat. They will not back down. They will not fall away. They will stand firm on a foundation of which Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And I thank you, God, you're burning that word in our hearts. So there's a part of us that says, bring it on. We're made for this. And God will be glorified. Jesus will be exalted. And I pray for that grace in every person in this room this morning. Because we don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. We don't know what's going to happen next week. And the week after, you said, life is as a vapor. How can you plan tomorrow? We should let our yes be yes, our no be no, and uh, confess our relationship with Jesus. And we don't have the right to be shaken and resentful and embittered. So I thank you for that, Lord. I just appreciate that. And I pray for that grace for everyone in this room and everyone that's watching. In the days that we're living, we are called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken and will not be shaken. So release that grace to everyone in this room and those watching, you come on up. You got to say, I receive it. Receive you got to get all you can get in this hour, I'm telling you. We're not a church just to have church. I could care less about having church. You know, I want to encounter Jesus. 
And if you go to a church and they're not speaking into the season and times in which we're living, you should get out of that place quickly because you're going to be shaken. Does that make sense? I'm just telling you. It's in my heart. I'm going to let her rip. They can call me crazy. I have relatives that call me crazy. Well, you should be called crazy in this hour. You're peculiar. Come on up, tell before I go too far. Uh, as you were speaking, the Lord. Oh, as you were speaking, uh, the Lord really burned this. Uh, Daniel six twenty six. This is uh, King Darius, who probably wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know, but he says, "I hereby decree that in every part of my kingdom, men are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for He is the living God, and He endures forever." His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He delivers, he rescues, he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of lions, and the Lord says he can rescue us. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, we're going to receive our offering. We receive our offering around the front at the altar so you can come. And then uh, let me go ahead and introduce Scott Volk. He's a good friend. We just met him, but we met him before on the phone. And he has a ministry together for Israel, but he travels around speaking in conferences, ministers to Jews and Arabs alike. And, and, uh, but he has a, a word for this hour. He's a man that is called into the kingdom for such a time as this. And I shared Friday night, we have a lot in common, found out that our journey's really similar. But I believe he has something for this morning. And so Scott, we're, we're welcome, you're welcome, and we're so glad you've come. And uh, we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we wanna see Jesus, and we will. So we praise the Lord. And our children are also dismissed too. So you can come for the offering. Angels gather round your throne and around your throne they bring praises to the living God to the awesome one they sing Angels gather round your throne, and around your throne they bring praises to the living God, to the awesome one they sing. Oh, 
Him. Would you stand with me? Lord, we recognize you as holy in this place. We pray, holy God, take control. Come as you've already been waiting for us, and I pray that our hearts and our ears and our eyes would be open to a holy God. Be ye holy even as I am holy. I don't know why in our generation the word holy has been, uh, has been correlated with legalistic, almost the opposite of grace. No, that, that's not who God is. He's holy. He's looking for a people who will separate themselves and, 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 and come in line with the character of God. And today, Lord, I just pray, touch our hearts, Lord. Touch our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for having me here. My name is Scott. Uh, and I, I feel like I'm here because the Lord wants me here today. But I'm not here because I'm a great speaker. Any, anybody can get up and, and, and speak. But um, when the invitation came to come, I just, I, I just knew that there was a purpose in being here. And thank you for having me, Pastor David and Shirley and... All of you who have had a part in getting me here, it means the world to me that, that I could be here with you today. I'm on my way to Dallas this afternoon. How long are you here for? That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm sure the Lord will lead you heading to Dallas this afternoon. And really, um, it's, it's kind of a crazy part of my schedule. And I get to, I get to go and be with friends around the world and share the gospel. It's, it's really, really great. just want to encourage you guys, if, if, you're, um, if you're desiring to get any of the materials out there, the, uh, the book that I wrote was Jesus Was Not a Christian, and sometimes people really get mad when they hear that title, but he wasn't. There, was, there, were, there were no Christians when Jesus showed up. You know that? He, and he didn't come to start a new religion called Christianity. Jesus didn't come to start a religious work, he came as a Jew to fulfill what was written about him in, in the prophets. And it's kind of incredible when you think about it. And um, I wrote this book because I'm a Jew, full-blooded Jew, which doesn't make me any more special than anybody else. But as a full-blooded Jew, I just did my Ancestry.com, by the way, where you spit in a cup, right? And you send it in, and it came back 100% Jew, which is, which is kind of crazy. I don't know too many people who are 100% anything, let alone 100% Jew, but get a load of this. I married a 100% Arab, <laughs> so I kind of I messed up our, I didn't mess up our bloodline, I just messed up the 100% part of it, and it's kind of cool. I mean, I've got kids that are um, Ishmael and kids that are Isaac, that's pretty cool, because what God wants to do in the end times is bring Arab and Jew together, Jew and Gentile together as one new man in the Messiah. You get that, right? I'm actually speaking on unity today. Uh-oh, no, it's not going to do that again on me. Is that me? Uh, I'm sorry. I'll just plug it in right here. But the Lord is looking for men and women 
who will not, we shouldn't be identified as Jew or Gentile. Right, the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek in Christ, you get that? But there are promises for Israel that are still yet unfulfilled that are really dependent on the church. Romans says salvations come to the nations of the world to provoke Israel to jealousy. And Jesus cannot return until Israel welcomes him back. So for those of us who long for the return of Jesus, we've gotta be asking the Lord, Father, what part do you want me to play? Because Israel, Israel is the key that unlocks the door to Jesus coming back. I don't know if you remember, I think it's, in, it's either in Kings or Samuel, where David was outside of Jerusalem and he wouldn't come back to Jerusalem until his brothers welcomed him back. And that's the same thing that Jesus said. He wept over Jerusalem and he said, you will not see me again. I'm not coming back until you welcome me back by saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This book is just very, very easy to read. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a brilliant guy. I try to write as simply as I think, but I'm so thankful because people around the world are, are getting the book and I've gotten great reports from it. One, can I tell one quick funny story? I went to speak in Colombia right before COVID. And this book is only in English, but when I was going down there, they were gonna have uh, 10,000 people in the night services, which was more of an evangelistic service that I wasn't a part of, but I was, I was there, but I wasn't speaking. But I was speaking in the daytime to 1,500 leaders. And so I had my book printed in Spanish. I paid for, the, um, for it to be interpreted into Spanish. I think it cost me like, I don't know, four or five dollars a book. I printed up however many. And I got down there and I was speaking through an interpreter and people were buying the books off the shelf. It was so great. So I was getting ready to leave and I asked the guy who was in charge of the books. I, I said, so how are the book sales? He goes, oh, they were great. And I, he goes, but we sold them for $2 and not 10. <laughs> so it actually cost me to sell my books. But I received a letter when I got back to the United States in Spanish from a man named Isaac, and he said, Scott, when I read your book, my life was profoundly touched. Get a load of this. I wanna buy 3,000 books in Spanish and give them away to business leaders in Colombia because they need to hear this message. It was really, really cool. And I just, so I'll, I'll gladly lose money selling books. As a matter of fact, if you can't afford it, you can have it for free. Uh, please tell um, Logan that I said that, but I really encourage you to get it. I, th I think it would really be a blessing to you. And then we have a, we have a, a self-study course that goes with a video on the origins of our faith, discovering the biblical roots of our faith. Let me give this to you, Pastor. Can I, you take these? Um, I, I am convinced that we're supposed to start in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. And if you have your Bibles, open with me. <clears throat> you mind if I come down? Is that okay to be here? Okay, I just want to make sure. If I were to ask you what the greatest commandment was, what would you say? I'm opening this up. Greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, 
soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the answer that I would have given all of my life. But I want to tell you how Jesus answered the greatest commandment question in the Gospel of Mark, which I think is very, very important. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what, is the foremo- what commandment is foremost of all? And I want you to catch this. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But before that, there's a part that most of us don't even think about. And that's the reality. I am so sorry. I don't know what's happening here. I'm just going to put it one more time up here. And if it fails, I'll grab the handheld. Hero Israel. <laughs> Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The most important prayer in all, this is taken out of the book of Deuteronomy. And Jewish people pray this prayer morning, noon, and night. It's called the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Everybody say Echad. E-C-H-A-D, echad. If you're not spitting, you're probably not saying it correctly. That means one. One. Here, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Do you know one thing that Israel has the most problem with with Christianity? They think we believe God is three in one. The Trinity is a massive roadblock for Jewish people to come to Jesus because they say it's idolatry. God is one. Do you know, as, as Jewish people were marching in, 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 during the Holocaust into the gas chambers, this prayer is on their lips. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I was raised in a Jewish home. I've forgotten most of my Hebrew, but I never forgot this. Echad, one. This is, I'm so, so sorry. Would it be better if I had a, a handheld? I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what I'm doing. No worries. Okay, um, let's see. Hold this one toward the top. Okay. All right, now let's see here. How am I going to get... How about... Here. Okay, there you go. We just need a moment. Oh, you got it. Woo! All right. Hero Israel, the Lord our God... The Lord is one. I was just, I had a revelation while I was sitting there during worship. I've never thought about this before. In the book of Genesis, when God's creating, day one, day two, day three, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be water that's separated from the heaven. And God said, let there be stars and moon. But when it came to creating man, God said, let 
us make man in our own image according to our likeness. All of a sudden, when it comes to us, us being created, he includes us in creating them. Now, you've got to get this. God is one. Do you know that Jesus' last earthly prayer that we know of, or one of the last things he prayed was, Father, make them one? He didn't pray that we'd have great prophetic ministry. He didn't pray that we would have uh, healing ministry. He didn't pray that we would have big churches so that people would know him. He prayed that we would be one. Oh, Scott, that's so simple. We don't need that. Give me, give me my ministries where the, the, where the churches are packed out because they're coming to hear me prophesy over them or pray over them and healing comes and, and prophetic words come and I love healing and I love prophetic words, but they're not ultimate. Many are gonna come, the Lord says, and say, I've cast out demons in your name. I've healed the sick. He's gonna say, I never knew you. Miracles, all that stuff, that's great. There are signs, Jesus says, these signs shall follow you. I get that. But those things aren't super costly. <laughs> it doesn't cost us anything. We can pray over people, they should be healed. That's God's word, right? But unity is something that's costly. And many times people don't even wanna go after it because it, 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 it burns their flesh. I don't want to have to like this guy sitting next to me. What's the greatest commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Do you know that God is not in any way bothered by the fact that it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit? None of them are jealous of each other. Could you imagine Jesus one day knocking on the Father's bedroom door, and I don't even, I doubt that even exists, and says, Dad, we've been together a long time, but it's time for us to go our own separate ways. I mean, how crazy is that? Do you think when we get up to heaven, we're going to have black churches and white churches and, and, and uh, Jewish, Jewish churches and Gentiles? No, no, no. There's no neighborhoods in heaven. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no cliques in heaven. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So if oneness is so important to God, then it also must be important to the devil to do everything he can to divide us. And so many times, I've, I'm, I'm only 56, or maybe I'm 56, and that's not only to some of you, but <laughs> 56. I've seen churches split. I've seen families split. I was on the phone the other day, a dear family that I've, been, that I've known for 50 years. The father is dying in the hospital and he tells his son, he said, please call, they call me Scotty because they've known me from back when I was 10, they call me Scotty. Please call Scotty and ask him if he can help. So I get on the phone with his son. I said, what's going on? There's a big division among the kids, big division. The, the daughters are not talking to each other. And the father, so the father grabs one of the daughters and says, please, please, can you please make things right with your sister? He's got days to live. So I get on the phone with the sister 
and I'm talking to her, and she's like, Scott, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, her father's dying wish is for her and her sister to be united again. So I'm pleading with her. I said, listen, can you guys just humble yourselves? Can you stand by your father's deathbed together so that when he departs this earth, he's departing in peace, knowing that his children are one? It almost reminds me of Jesus in the garden in John 17. He's about to face death, and you are now hearing his prayer. Lord, make them one. That the oneness of the body of Messiah is the single most important demonstration that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to talk about Israel being provoked to jealousy? It's by oneness. It's by unity. And I mean, I think there's like 10,000 Christian denominations. It's crazy. It is ridiculous. I don't know that I have the answer, but I'm going to try to un unpack things for you today. Is that okay? If, if I were to have points, my first point would be this. God's attracted to unity. Open up to Genesis 11. I don't know that you've... This isn't necessarily... Uh, a scripture that I would have thought about, but as I was preparing this, my point is unity attracts God. You know the story. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. But there's something about this story that is remarkable to me. Do you know that we, we have prayer meetings? People, intercessors crying, Lord, come down. Lord, come down and meet us. Well, God came down right here without any prayer meeting. What was it that attracted him? Let's read together. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come let us. Just stop right there. Sometimes there's stuff in scripture that I love. God says, let us, and man says, let us. God's let us is always bigger than man's let us. Especially when it's not a king, kingdom let us. Oh, I'm so sorry. I think if I stand on one foot, because I was on one foot when it wasn't doing anything. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's no, this is me. The whole world used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed, they settled in the land of Shinar. Now verse three, they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, they used tar for mortar, another let us. They said, let us build a tower for ourselves, a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad the face of the earth. Here is a godless mob in unity. There's nothing spiritual about what they're doing. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to build a tower for themselves. They want to be famous. They want to be known. Verse 5. The Lord came down. Just, just stop right there. 
the Lord came down. How many of you would love for that to be said of our service this morning? The Lord came down. But why did he come down? I don't see any intercession going on. I don't see any revival happening. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Verse 6. Look at this. The Lord said, behold, they are echad. They are one people. And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now get this, everyone. Verse 6. Nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Are, do you see this? This isn't man's opinion. This is God's word. Nothing that this godless mob desires to do will be impossible for them. That's not exaggeration. That's the power of unity. Unity makes the impossible possible on both sides of the fence. Demonic unity, godly unity, there's something about unity that when it's misused, misused is a force against the kingdom of heaven, and when it's used properly is a force against the kingdom of hell. And we have to determine which side of unity are we going to... You know, when, when churches break up, oh, I've been involved in them. I was part of it. When families break up, we're choosing who to be united with. Well, this one sounds right, and this one sounds right. Friends, if the kingdom is not the basis of our unity, our unity is false. Nothing will be impossible with them. This is what God says about people in unity. If he says that about a godless mob in unity, what would he say about a godly congregation in unity? You guys with me? Verse 7, I love this. So the demonic mob was saying, come let us, come let us, come let us. Here's God's come let us. Check this out, verse 7. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. You know the rest of the story. The Lord came down, and they called this place Babel because they all started speaking different languages and couldn't understand each other. God is attracted to unity, and he wants to bust up godless unity, and he wants to support kingdom unity. We want God to come down. Flip over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, just one verse, verse 14. They're all in the upper room waiting for what Jesus promised was going to be the Holy Spirit meeting with them. Verse 14. These all with echad mind, one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Flip over to Acts chapter 2. And the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together, together, in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Verse 5, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Pentecost. God comes down. Genesis 11, God comes down. Godless mob in Genesis 11, godly mob in Acts chapter 2. Genesis 11, he gives them tongues also, so to speak. They just didn't understand each other. They scatter. He comes down in Acts chapter 2, he gives them tongues, and people are united, and the Spirit falls. This is the promise that was spoken of. Wait until you receive power from on high, Jesus said. But it was based on people coming together with one heart, one mind, one burden. They were all together. Jesus is attracted to unity. Unity is important. And friends, if it's important to God, I said this before, it's important to the enemy to do what he can to to divide us. And if we start recognizing the ploys of the enemy in our families, in our relationships, husband and wife, brother, sister, we ought to be doing everything we can to say, Lord, make me one. That was Jesus's prayer. Flip over to John 17. Let's just look at that prayer for a minute. So so unity attracts God. He's attracted to unity. Uh, if, If I had a second point, I would say unity is supernatural. Kingdom unity is supernatural. Check this out, John 17, just a few pages backwards. Verse 20. Jesus is praying for us. He prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for those who would come after them. That's you and that's me. Look at this prayer. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of his disciples, but for those, who, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, echad. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Remember, let us make man in our own image. We're created in the image of God. So that the world may believe that you sent me. The the demonstration to the world of the authenticity of Jesus is the unity of those who call him Father. Nothing else. Oh, we might attract a lot of people because we're great, great speakers or worship leaders or healers or, or counselors or authors. But this issue of unity is the ultimate issue. According to Jesus, that will validate his sonship. Period. I mean, it's remarkable to me. He didn't pray, you know, let them be known around the world. You know, let their ministries flourish. Those are human prayers. Those are prayers that I hear when, when we pray over people, releasing them into the ministry. Father, may signs and wonders follow them. Well, 
yeah, they should follow them. But when, when, we, when we, I've never said this before, ever, but maybe when we start praying over people to release them into ministry, maybe we should be praying that they're, they're anointed to bring unity to the body. That, 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 that they are, they're peacemakers, they're, they're bridge builders, they're unity seekers. But, but unity is tough because you might like me right now, but spend a couple hours with me alone in a car and you may want to say, gosh, I'm glad that ride's over. It's not, it's not easy, but it's kingdom. When you look at all of the one another's in the word of God, <sighs> love one another, serve one another. I mean, th those are verses that many of us will, including me, will just read and just kind of, eh, simple, simple. Give me, give me the deep stuff. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. By the way, there's a standard right there. The standard, of, the standard of kingdom unity is not the standard of earthly unity. Kingdom unity says we are one just like God and his son are one. Make them one even as you and I are one. Oh, can you imagine? That means we're stuck together forever. I don't like how he smells. I don't like how she sings. I don't like his sense of humor. I don't like her negativeness. But is it possible that God put us together so that iron can sharpen iron and not, not to repel each other like, like magnets that are similar, that they, they go apart? Adam and Eve in the garden. For this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife and the two become one. That's God's heart. Two becoming one. Jew, Arab. Jew, Gentile. One new man. It's, it's, not, it's not about... It's, we don't accentuate our differences How compatible, you know, when we choose people to work with us, how compatible are they? You know, we'll do these personality tests. Oh, this, this person fits this grid according to this personality test. You guys can work together. Well, what if God wants to stick you with somebody who's the exact opposite of you to work together? Amen. What if he wants to do that so that the two of you can balance each other out in such a way that you're not threatened by this person's strengths and this person's not threatened by your strengths, and the two of you come together because the power of one is way more. You know, the, the Bible is clear. One is amazing. What does the Bible say? One can put a, a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. That's crazy. And we want to do things on our own. You know, when, um, when my dad got saved in the early 1970s, he was a successful stockbroker on Wall Street in New York, and we ended up moving to a Christian community in northern Minnesota, where there were about 70 of us on a piece of property. 
And the, the, the goal and the heart of this community was early, early church. Everybody lived all things common. So when we left Connecticut, we sold our house, we brought everything with us, and we gave all of our money and our vehicle to the community. And there were 70 of us. All of a sudden, it wasn't about the Volk family anymore. We were living with 65 other people. We had our own. I lived in a trailer my teenage years. My parents had this beautiful house in Connecticut. And when we got to this community, we lived in a trailer home, 12 feet wide, 68 feet long. And if you've ever been to Minnesota, northern Minnesota, whew, those winters are severe. They're cold. I remember the first time my father saw his Buick Electra being driven by some other person. And he's like, wait, that's my car. What are you doing in my car? Do you know in the early, in the early church, you know what they did? They sold their possessions. They thought that what they had was not their own. Each one gave to one another as anyone had a need. And the awe of God was on the church. Why? Because they weren't thinking about themselves. They were thinking about each other. I don't know if you've ever heard of Richard Wormbrandt, the author of um, Tortured for Christ. Dear friend of our family, he used to come to our church every year in Scottsdale, Arizona when he was alive. Love that man. He spoke a message, and the title of his message was The Capital I. And he just, I think we had a blackboard in there, and he just wrote, I. And he said, why is it in the English language that the only letter that stands by itself that's capitalized is the letter I? It's all about me. It's all about me. I, 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 I. But you know what I love about the Lord? Let us. Let us. There's, I, I tell you, us is way better than I. <laughs> we is way better than me. But our natural flesh wants it to be about me and I. Look, look at the book that I wrote. Look at the ministry that I've built. Verse 23. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. First point was God is attracted to unity. It's going to get his attention, and he's going to come down. Point number two was unity is supernatural. It takes Jesus praying for us. <laughs> if it was easy, Jesus wouldn't have had to pray it. If it, was, if, it was, if it was natural, Jesus actually prayed this for us. So we have to grab onto his prayer in his heart. My third point is this. Unity is costly. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse 1. Paul's writing, I believe, from prison. Listen to this. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling 
by which you have been called. Just stop right there. We can walk in a manner unworthy or we can walk in a manner worthy. I was watching a football game a number of years ago, college football game, and at the end of the game, as the teams were exiting the field, a guy from one of the teams, and this was all over Sports Center and all over the news, a guy from one of the teams who was mad at a player on the other team takes his fist as they're walking off and just kind of cold cocks this guy. Captured on every, every, every camera captured it. The next day, the coach of the team and the guy that hit the other guy was a star player on this football team. But the coach the next day gets on TV at a news conference that says, this man is not worthy of wearing our jersey. And he's off the team. Because there are standards that allow you to play for this team. And if you break those standards, you can't do it. So when I hear this, I mean, that was a very natural thing. This is a supernatural thing. Jesus, or Paul is saying, walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. If you're not walking in this manner, you're not walking in a worthy manner of being called a son or a, da or a daughter of our king. So let me just read it. Two, verse two. With all humility, I mean, there's 20 messages in these four verses. All humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love. <laughs> you guys, I'm just reading this and I'm thinking to myself, I find myself extremely intolerant. Verse three, and here's the verse, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Does anybody have a different version in verse three? Mine says being diligent. Anybody has anything else? Endeavoring, anybody have anything else? Make every effort. Do you, do you see that these words are verbs? <laughs> you know what a verb is? That's an action statement. Something is required of us individually to see this unity come about. Make every effort. Who, who raised their hand for that one? Who has that one? Is that NIV? Make every effort. I think it's NIV. Take my word for it. Every effort. How many of us can say that when we have a division with somebody that we're making every effort to make it right. Don't raise your hands, but let me just tell you something. We make every effort to divide further, typically. We make every effort to prove that we're right. We make every effort to prove that I'm standing on my ground and I'm not moving. But what does Paul say as a prisoner of the Lord that's walking in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called? You have to have humility, you have to have gentleness, you have to have love, and you have to make every effort or endeavor or, or diligently preserve the unity of the spirit because that doesn't come naturally. I've had, I've had situations in my life where I knew I was right. 
And I felt like the Lord said, what's more important? You proving that you're right or you doing what you can to make your relationship right? My wife and I have done, we're not counselors, but we've pastored enough, so we've done enough marriage stuff. And my wife says this, and I love it. The goal of communicating is the goal of kingdom communicating is not to prove your point. The goal of kingdom communicating is to hear the other person's heart. Because when you hear the heart, you can do what you can do to make it right. Rather than proving through an argument, getting somebody, remember that, what's that game I used to play when we were younger? You would take somebody's wrist and you would make them say mercy. That's how, that's how some of our relationships are. It's like, okay, mercy. No. God, you know, and I'm blown away by who Jesus chose to be his disciples. I mean, these guys, tax collector, oh my gosh, why would he do that? And put him in with, a, these guys were all different. Make every effort. Okay, so you're sitting here in church. Jesus, I think you referred to the, uh, Sermon on the Mount today. Matthew chapter 5, you know what Jesus says? Jesus said, um, well, let me just read it, because <laughs> I don't have it memorized. It's, it's Matthew 5. Hang on just one second, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 5, I think it's verse 20-something. He's, he's, he's on the Mount, uh, Mount of Beatitudes. By the way, if, if you ever go to Israel, the Mount of Beatitudes is, how many of you have ever been to Israel? Yeah, amazing. Typically, I'm in Israel five or six times a year. And when I bring groups over there, the Mount of Beatitudes is amazing. But listen to what he says in Matthew chapter five about personal relationships. Let's start with verse 23. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, by the way, how many of you guys, well, don't raise your hands. You came up and presented your gift at the altar today, did you not? You brought your tithes and your offerings or you came to church to worship? Listen to what Jesus says. If you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. It doesn't say, and you remember that you have something against your brother. It says, your brother has something against you. Jesus says, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. Oh my gosh, our tithes and offerings would diminish greatly <laughs> if we didn't let people give until they made their relationships right. This is, what, this is God's heart because there's something more important about even... Anybody can come into a church and lift their hands during worship, but friends, that's not necessarily attractive to God if our hearts are not right with our brothers. It breaks, how much, how, can you imagine the heart of this dying man knowing that his daughters are not even communicating with each other? He's an earthly father, and he, he brings his daughter in, and he just says, please, please make relationships right. And you have Jesus, maybe a day or two before his death, praying the same thing to us. Unity attracts God. 
Unity is supernatural. Unity is costly. My last point is this. Unity brings supernatural life. Flip over over to Psalm 133, one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 133. By the way, the word echad means one, and there is a word in Psalm 33 for unity, which is yachad, basically the same root word. Unity means one. Look at Psalm 133. We're going to close with this. Are you guys okay? Behold. By the way, I spoke about the word behold on Friday night. That Hebrew word is hine. And I'm I'm not trying to impress you with Hebrew words. I know only a few, so you're getting most of them this weekend. But the Hebrew word is hine. Every Jew knows this psalm in Hebrew. Hine matovu manayim shevet achim gam yachad. That's not because I know Hebrew. It's because I sang this song as a kid. But the first word is hine. And what hine means is stop what you're doing and look this way because there's something to behold. If you weren't here on Friday night, I, I talked about the Blue Angels in Pensacola, Florida, where I lived for a number of years. These F-16s would, would fly in, um, in formation together. And whenever they would fly over, there were five or six jets flying, and it looks like their wings are almost touching as they're jetting through the sky. Everybody stopped what they were doing, and you would just see heads like this. I go to football games a lot, and when, when the jets fly over, you know, the games during the national anthem, everybody's head, you can just watch. It's like, whoo, they're, they're beholding something. So when Jesus came while John was baptizing in the wilderness, he said, behold the Lamb of God. It's like, okay, stop what you're doing and look this way because there's something to behold. So when you see that word behold, it, it, it's, it's, it's a riveting word. God wants to get your attention because there's something that you need to be seeing. So look what he says. The psalmist says this. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. Listen to this. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down to the edge of his robes. Verse 3 I'm going to unpack this for you in a second. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. Unity brings life forevermore. Can I tell you something about Mount Hermon? It's the biggest mountain in Israel. On the top of Mount Hermon, depending on what time of year you're there, you will see snow on the top of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, listen to this, this is crazy. There are springs in Mount Hermon from the moisture and the snow and the rain from that. I think there's seven climate zones in Israel, if you can believe that. But Mount Hermon, you can ski on Mount Hermon and then go down to the Dead Sea in the afternoon and and go swimming. It's crazy. But there are these these bubbling springs in Mount Hermon that come up from the ground and form three rivers. Those three rivers flow into one river called the Jordan River. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee. And then out of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River flows south into the Dead Sea. 
The water from Mount Hermon is the irrigation for Israel. That Israel, this dead, I mean, God, listen, God chose the land of Israel for a purpose. I often say if I were God, I would have chosen a different, a different region. Israel's a, a barren wasteland. Mark Twain visited Israel, and he, would, he was, you know, who would ever live in this God-forsaken wasteland? But the dew from Mount Hermon has caused Israel to be one of the largest distributors of flowers and fresh fruit in the Middle East. It's brought life to the dead, barren wasteland. So this is what the psalmist is saying. You know what your unity is like? Your unity is like the dew from Mount Hermon that irrigates Zion. And it's there that God commands the blessing, life forevermore. If that unity can do that, why are we settling for division? God wants you living fully. God wants you to have life. I know one of the heartbeats of, of this church and the churches that this church is affiliated with is to see the Lord move mightily. Friends, may our prophetic conferences be encouraging to all who come. May our, may our healing services bring healing to those who come. But I would trade all of those things in a heartbeat simply for kingdom unity. Because when we have kingdom unity, then God is attracted. God comes down. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I pray that you would just look over this gathering this morning. I pray, oh Lord, that you would touch my heart and our hearts. Search us, O oh God. <laughs> See if there is any wicked way in me. I, you know, friends, I just believe we're just supposed to take a, just a minute or two. And I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to search your heart. There may be somebody in your life that you don't like or that you love. And there's been division I believe this morning the Lord is inviting us into a place where we would be attractive to him. Maybe there's a relationship that's been fractured. Maybe it's in your own home. Maybe it's with people who you've fellowshiped with in the past who are sitting in this building. Maybe it's people who are in another church or family. If you know they have something against you, what's God requiring of us today? Make every effort. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. Let's just take a minute and then we'll close. Lord, I pray for grace for those of us
who need to make relationships right. Lord, not so that we can be patted on the back and said, well, great job for doing that, but that we can, even as Ephesians 4 said, we can go humbly, we can go gently, we can go lovingly. Forgive us, Lord, for living without acknowledging our need to make an effort in this area. I pray for all of these precious ones that are gathered here today. Lord, may the testimony of this morning not be people walking out saying, great message or great worship. Let the testimony be (laughs) that you touched our hearts and that division has become unity. Satan comes to rob, steal, and destroy. Jesus has come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Lord, let us live as forgivers. If there's any bitterness or unforgiveness that's in our heart towards our brothers, Lord, whether they ever apologize to us ever, may our hearts be clean, may we forgive. Even as you forgave us, Lord, before we ever asked, <laughs> may, we, may we be a forgiving community. And I pray for the gathering and all those who are visiting today, those watching online, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe, great God, for the unity (laughs) that you have lived in from eternity past to eternity future to be the mark of your kingdom, sons and daughters. In a time when so many are divided over things that are not ultimate, In this season especially, Lord, I just pray that you would come, take this word, supplement it with your spirit in our hearts, and may we be kingdom men and women who live in a manner worthy of the calling by which we've been called. In the name of Jesus, amen.